Kia ora, welcome to The House, I'm Johnny Blades. Perhaps contrary to popular opinion, as an MP, you can make progress without having to be mean to other people. That's according to the National MP, Ian McKelvey, who is to retire ahead of October's election after three terms in Parliament and is the latest subject in our series of exit interviews. An MP representing an agriculture-focused electorate, Rangatike, who also owns farms himself, McKelvey is something of the genial country squire. We sat down for a chinwag and I began by asking him what it felt like to be finishing up at Parliament. Well, I suppose it's sort of a funny world I'm going into because I've never woken up on a morning and had nothing to do before, so I'm going to wake up on the 14th of, uh, of um, October with absolutely nothing to do, so it'll be very unusual. At this point, you're the oldest MP, aren't you? I am, that's why I'm going. But that's not very old compared to, you know, let's say 20 years ago. It would have been probably quite closer to the average. I think that that's probably right. And I, I do think, though, that it's quite... Um, you know, I'm an electorate MP. I like being an electorate MP. That's what I do. I wouldn't want to be here on the list, uh, certainly not at my age. You need a lot of energy to run an electorate. And I think that's the thing that um, I notice most is you're on the road all the time. So is it, is it because you feel you don't have the energy for it anymore that you're leaving? No, I, th- I think I feel that I don't always do what I should be doing. So I suppose that's the same answer, actually. But I just think that you need to be doing stuff all the time. And then I think, oh, I've got grandchildren. I could go and watch playing sport, and, but I need to be here. And I've got grandchildren I could have watched having their birthdays, and I need to be there. And, and I think that, you know, I've been doing this for 21 years, if you count the time I was a mayor for. So it's a long, long time to be in... Uh, in the public eye, and and pretty much you've got to do what you have to do, and you've got to do stuff every day. I think I've done my turn, and uh, it's time I let someone younger with more energy take over. I think a lot of people would wonder what's someone like yourself getting into Parliament for for the first place. I mean, you're a, you were a rich lister. Uh, maybe you still are. Perhaps not. Uh, I think that's a slightly exaggerated position. But I think uh, I, I got into public life uh, for the same reason I got into Parliament, actually. I ended up in public life because I'd come out of some other jobs I was doing. And I was asked to stand for mayor. I stood for the mayor of Manawatu. Uh, quite a team of people stood against me. And then coming here to Parliament, um, Simon Power resigned very late in, the, in, a, in an electoral um, period, unexpectedly. And so I guess I was the first stop for the National Party. They came and asked me if I was interested. And uh, my father always said, uh, if the gate opens, you always want to go through it. Uh, and so I came here not really having an agenda to come here. But I got into public life, but primarily because I like New Zealand how it is. Uh, I think there's always improvements we can make, but I think we're a, we're a wonderful country to live in, and I wanted my grandchildren basically to have the same opportunities that I'd had, uh, and probably their children as well. In your maiden speech, you you said things like that, but also you talked about that you felt that agriculture in this country had taken a battering. There are some farmers who will say the same thing today because of the climate equation, because of the pressure for change. So the battering is still taking place, would you say? Well, I don't know whether I'd call it a battering so much. I think we bring some of these things on ourselves, whether we're politicians or farmers. And I think I think one of the great mistakes we made in agriculture was effectively to stop the progress that that um, Helen Clark's very early in her time wanted to start with respect to environmental challenges that agriculture faces. And I, I think that we shouldn't have stopped the bus. I think we should have slowed the bus and I think if we'd done that in the late um, 90s, we'd be in a much stronger position now in agriculture. And I, and I just hope right now that we don't stop the bus again because I think that the incremental changes that that we can make in agriculture particularly will have huge potential for New Zealand in the future. 
Are, are you alluding to the fart tax? Absolutely. I'm going, going back as far as the fart tax. I think, I think that was re a retrograde step for agriculture in New Zealand, stopping it. I think, I think it needed to be measured. And the problem with these three-year terms, I think, is that you get governments forcing stuff that if they had a little more time, they wouldn't have to force to the same extent. And we've seen that with this last government, uh, the Labor government right now, doing exactly the same thing. They've been, you get put in a position where you want to make change and then you have to, then you, know, you feel you have to, I guess, force the change, and that's what causes the problem. We're a small country, and it's a, it's a very costly exercise going through this stuff, but I don't think that's a, that should never be our driver. But I do think the term's too short, and I think a four-year term would be ideal. What ways has Parliament changed since you've been here, since 2011? Well, I, one of the changes I don't like, and it, it, it started probably earlier than my time, but... I think taking what the public or the media call perks away from MPs has been a, one of the worst things that could possibly have happened because effectively all those perks got capitalised into our, or capitalised into salary, and there was no longer incentive to go out and use what were termed perks to, to educate yourself, to find out more about the world, to find out more about, about what goes on in our country. Perks, which have been by a succession of prime ministers, actually the last three, have all taken the opportunity to cancel some of those things and capitalise them into salaries, which I think, I think that's one of the worst things I've seen here because we all come from different backgrounds, we all have different experiences. Some of us are very experienced, some of us aren't. And you need to ensure that those people who aren't very uh, experience have the opportunity to get some experience and to find out things about life and and so I think that's probably the the worst change I've seen in my time here. And the Parliament does it feel like it's become more diverse? Yeah, I think it's become. I think it has, and I think it's. Uh, I think it will become more diverse in the future as well. We have to allow for diversity though, because we're not all the same. And I think this speaker in particular is extraordinarily good at that. He allows quite a broad range of discussion to happen on a broad range of things from a broad range of people. I do think that the speaker's position in this building is very important, and it's equally as important that a little bit of um, individual flair uh, is, an, is enabled rather than uh, rather than knocked out of us. And so, I, so yeah, I think it's important. And you, of course, have been a presiding officer, so you know what it's like to facilitate that robust discussion or, or, or to try to anyway? Well, I had a little turn. I really enjoyed that. I, uh, it was one of, probably one of the highlights of my time in Parliament, being a presiding officer for a few months. But, but the thing I enjoyed about it is I think I have a personality that enables people to get away with it a little bit and they know when to stop. And, and I find that in select committee as well, that I can let people do what they want pretty much, but then I can pull them up without having to tell them off. And, uh, and I think that's the important thing. You give people the opportunity to, to do stuff, but they, they know when they're going to overstep the line, so you don't have to look at them and that stops the nonsense. Yeah. You, you seem to get on pretty well with, with MPs across the divide. That's not necessarily the same with all your no. colleagues. I, I think that I, I guess I come from a much more... I came here at a much older age than most people do, so I'd seen a lot more of life than most people have when they come here. And, and I knew a lot of, um, of, the, of the governments, or the Labour Party's MPs, for example. I had a lot to do with people like Andrew Little before I came here. So, so I knew a lot of them reasonably well, and they knew me, I suppose. But I also think that you can make progress without having to be, I guess, mean to people. And I think that's one of the things I've sort of taken to the select committees, basically. And I've even spent a little bit of time in my time here educating the new MPs about select committees. And I just think that you can do things in a pleasant manner. You can do them in another manner. And I've seen some... Uh, who I won't obviously name here, but I've seen some in this parliament who don't behave particularly well on select committees, and I don't like it. You seem very much like the country squire, you know, almost a throwback. Uh, there can't be too many more like you. Well, I suppose there's not many who've been on the same road for eight generations. 
um, I happen to course I'm only the sixth generation there, but um, but it's a long time, and I think I think that you can't live in a community, or rural communities particularly, without knowing everyone around you. You probably can live in the town without knowing everyone around you, but you don't in rural communities because it just doesn't work. And and I think it's important that we look after each other, whoever we are or whatever we do. I mean, do, do people in rural areas, do people in farming feel that they are being well served by this parliament system? I mean, you're in a you're the ideal conduit to know. Uh, I think I think the real difficulty is the further from the centre you get, the more. And we saw that in the in the protests. Actually, a lot of the people who protested came from a long way from the centre. And, and they just don't trust what happens in the centre. Uh, and I guess you become independent as well. You'll find in places like the north of my electorate that they're very independent. The communities are independent. They know they've got to look after themselves because no one else is going to. And I think communities are much better at looking after themselves than central government is at looking after them. And, and so I'd, I'd really strongly favour a kind of a decentralisation of all sorts of things, um, particularly, uh, I think, welfare... Um, even health to some extent, although you can't, we can't afford to decentralise health to the extent of serious um, operations and, and top surgeons and things like that. But we certainly need to make sure that those small communities have the ability to manage their own environments. And, and I think things like Fanaora, I think, interestingly, was a very good. It's a very good idea because it allows a little community to run their own, almost their entire social and welfare-related stuff. Is there any advice you would have for for MPs? staying on or those coming in are new? I've got plenty of advice for them. I think one of the things I can't, I don't, I do not like is um, I think, and I learnt this very early in my public life, the sooner you admit you're wrong, the sooner you're forgiven. <laughs> and, and I just don't understand why we deny uh, what's going wrong. And I think that's the strongest bit of advice I could give to ministers, for example. They need to just throw their hands up and say, that's not working well, we get to move on. And, and I, interestingly, apologised to a media um, person when I first became the mayor for telling them something wrong. And they, they, they rang me back, they couldn't believe it, they'd never heard of anyone apologising for something <laughs> that said wrong. But I've always found that the sooner you admit you're wrong, the sooner it goes away. We're all human and you MPs are human as well, and maybe sometimes people forget that. That's right, and I think, the uh, I referred to it earlier, and I think the real issue is that I think that people who work in public life are basically doing what either MPs or councils tell them to do. They don't have a choice. That's council policy or it's government policy. So all of that stuff needs to be directed at the MPs or the councillors, not at the not at the public servants, because effectively they're doing what we've told them to do. Uh, and so I think that's the first thing people need to understand. And the second thing, I, I think MPs are human. I think I came here uh, with a pretty good background in being told what people think of me and I don't mind that at all. You've got to just accept that sort of thing because in fact you put yourself out there uh, and and you need to be you, you need to have opinion given to you quite frequently. That's what this job's about. I've never trespassed anyone from my office ever and and I think that everyone's got a right to go to an MP's office. We've just got to make sure that our staff are well looked after and and secure and I think we do a pretty good job of that now too. That's the National MP Ian McKelvey, who is soon to retire from Parliament after three terms as the Rangatike MP. And you've been listening to The House, a programme made possible with funding from Parliament's Office of the Clerk. Kia pai tōra.